Good morning. My name is Steve Ratliff. I'm the senior pastor here at Faith. Imagine as we begin this morning a conversation that you have with a friend, and this friend announces, hey, I have decided to sell everything I own. I've decided to sell my house, my car, all my possessions. I've decided to cash in all my investments. So I'm going to have this, this, this pile of money, and I have decided to invest every cent of it in one single stock. There's this company I found out about, and I have decided to put everything I have into that one company. Okay, so you hear this, and you catch your breath, and you realize my friend is about to do the very thing everybody advises against. And so out of concern, you come to your friend, and you say, hey, Boudreaux, I'm not sure this is a good idea for you to do this. I I really think you should... What's the word? Diversify uh, your investment here. What if this thing goes under? You're going to be in a bad way. And so you try to convince your friend, but you cannot dissuade your friend from doing this. And so he takes every penny he has and invests it in one single stock. In Matthew 13, Jesus told a couple of parables with a very similar plot. And the first is known as the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Notice it was joy. He was motivated by joy over exchanging everything for this field. Second parable is about a pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. And so Jesus creates these scenarios where someone takes everything that they have just so that they can purchase a single item, a field or a pearl. And he's making a a point here, a spiritual point about the kingdom of God. And so the point he's making is that spiritually speaking, when a person understands who Jesus is, and when a person understands the kingdom that he is establishing, no price is too great to pay to enter into and seek first that kingdom. If Jesus really is the king of all kings, and he is establishing a kingdom that will subsume all others, then we should enter that kingdom and pursue that kingdom at any price. And so today we're going to look at a passage that builds on this idea. It kind of answers the question, who would actually do that? I mean, who would would like give up their life in order to enter the kingdom and pursue it wholeheartedly? Last week we began talking about a pattern of discipleship, especially in light of this season when we can't gather together. There are certain things that are are great to do when we gather together, they're effective, but there are other things that we can only do when we're not gathered. And one of those is establish this pattern of discipleship. And so last week we began talking about following Jesus as a daily pattern uh, throughout our week. And this is something that every single one of us has to own. Nobody can do this for you. For example, the verse we looked at last week, Luke 9.23 says this, And Jesus was saying to them all, 
If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so this is something you have to own. If you want to follow Christ, if you want to come after him, do these three things. It's not a formula, but it's a pattern of living. Uh, day by day, we deny ourselves. We say no to ourselves and, and, and the, the desires, the ambitions, the habits that are at odds with following Christ. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross daily. In other words, we die to self. Instead of saying, I'm going to live my life for myself, we say, no, actually, I'm going to die to that, and I'm going to live exclusively for Jesus. And then we're in a place, if we deny ourselves and take up our cross, then we're in a place to follow him, adopting the very life that he taught and that he modeled. And so today we're going to consider the next three verses in Luke 9, which explain why a person would sell everything and buy a single field or a single pearl. These verses explain why it's worth it to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Christ. And if you've done this, if this is already your habit of life, you realize that there are some people who don't understand this. There are some people that will counsel you, are you sure that's a good idea? They'll be very cautious. Like, if you heard a friend was going to sell everything and invest it in one specific stock, people might be suspicious of this. People might warn you. They say, don't go overboard. Don't be a fanatic. Don't be too radical in, in uh, following after Christ. And so be forewarned. You will probably get this from people that really care about you. But I hope that today's passage convinces you that any price we pay in following Christ, in retrospect, we'll say it was really pretty trivial in light of the rewards. This passage has given me a renewed passion to follow Christ in this way. And so in Luke 9, verses 24 through 26, we're going to talk about the rewards of discipleship and then the consequences of non-discipleship, of not following Christ. And so whether you are already fully committed to following Christ or whether you're just investigating, thinking about the possibility of following Christ, I hope that you will listen very carefully to these, these words of Jesus and that you allow them to sink into a, a very deep place in your heart. In verse 24, Jesus begins with one of these paradoxical statements that he liked to make. He says this, and so he's explaining why people should deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow him. He says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And so he talks there about losing your life. And so every single one of us have a life. That word is, is often translated soul. We all, all have a life or a soul. Uh, we have a self that has been shaped both by our environment and by the choices that we've made. And typically way, the way it happens early on in life, we find a, a pattern of thinking and we find a way of living that seems to make sense to us. It kind of works. But this, this way of life, this life that we have structured is essentially uh, self-centered. We're, self, we're, we're essentially living for ourselves. And it's not that there's no good in us. It's not that our entire life is a waste. That is not the case. 
but it is the case that we are all this mixture of dignity and depravity. We have dignity because we're created in the image of God. We're as imagers. God says, you want to know what I'm like? Look at people. Look at people redeemed in Christ. We'll, we'll talk about that. But we're also this, this mixture of depravity because we're all sinful. We sin by nature and we sin by choice. Consequently, the lives that we develop as we grow up, they're not particularly centered on God and they're not compatible with the kingdom that he's establishing. So here Jesus says that whoever wishes to save that life will ultimately lose it. And we save that life by clinging to the life that we've established independent of God. And we refuse to deny ourselves. We refuse to die to self. We refuse to follow Christ. We save that life by saying, nobody's going to be my boss. Not even, not, especially not somebody who lived about 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. I'm going to be my own boss. And so Jesus says that that, that person will eventually lose their life. They will look back and say, by clinging to this life independent of God, I lost everything. And that, that is an option. On the other hand, Jesus says, you, if you lose your life for, for his sake, by denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following him, he says, that's the person who will actually uh, save their life. Uh, if in this way you allow him to restructure the way you think, the way you, you speak, and the way you act. And you can't really anticipate if you lose this old life and get the life that you get and you receive the life Jesus offers, you can't really anticipate what he will do. I remember when I was, uh, when I first came to, to Christ, to come a real uh, faith in Christ, I first started walking with him. I was 20 years old. I was a sophomore in college. And I had no idea how God wanted to work in my, my life. I had no idea how he would lead me in the future. I can assure you that being a pastor was not on my top 10 list of desired career paths, okay? I just, just had no idea, but I, I became convinced that Jesus is the Christ. I fell in love with him because I saw some people who lived different than I had ever seen before. And I started immersing myself in his word. And as I started reading the word, uh, it became obvious that I was profoundly clueless on most things in my life. And I found that God began working in the deep structures of thought in my mind, the things I thought, and in my heart, the, the deepest things that I longed for. And this is a, this is a progress, a process that he continues to this day. I can assure you that this, this work is not over. But I look back at that time and I say, I, I lost the old life. But I can also say that, that that saved me. I found life that I never would have had before. And that's what Jesus is promising in this verse. He says, those that lose their life for the sake of following him, they actually save it. They'll look back like, uh, like I do. And I'd say, losing my life was the best thing that ever happened to me. That's when I really began to live. And so you will actually discover who you really are, who God designed you to be uh, all along. 
And understand that in this verse, Jesus isn't talking about just kind of tweaking our life, making us a little better or sweetening us up a little bit. Uh, He's actually talking about a radical reorientation of our lives. And one of the things I think that is a challenge for us in North America is that it is, it is very easy to be part of a Christian culture and even adopt the title of Christian and go to a church uh, without really losing our lives. It, it's very possible, even here at Faith, to enter into the life of the church and be fairly committed without denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following Christ. And please hear me on this. We, we absolutely love to allow enough space for people to come and explore Christ. And we don't put any expectations on you. If you come and you want to find out who Christ is and really seek and discern, do I want to follow him? But I'm talking about uh, being part of a, a Christian community for years without ever really bowing the knee and without ever really becoming a disciple of Jesus. Uh, What tends to happen is that those persons get bored with Jesus and his teaching. Eventually, it's just like, I am so tired of hearing other people talk about their experience with Christ. And if they don't experience it, they become bored with it all. And eventually they find that they have energy and motivation to pursue everything but Christ. By contrast, you've probably noticed this in other cultures, both in our day and in past generations, there are cultures in which if you become a follower of Christ and you declare that publicly by being baptized, your eyes are wide open. You know that you are going to lose the life that you had. You will probably lose Family members, in terms of relationally, you will lose friendships, you might lose employment, you might lose your freedom. In some cases, people lose their lives, but they do it joyfully because they understand that the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field. It's like a pearl of great price. If you can have life in Jesus and you can enter into his kingdom, a kingdom that will will never end, it is worth losing the old life. And you, you, we've, I've talked to people who have experienced persecution, and you, you don't come away feeling sorry for them. You come away thinking they have found life indeed. And that's what Jesus promised. He promised if you lose the, the old life, you will find life indeed. Some people understand. Some people get it that you can't, the, that giving up the old life, you can't begin to compare with being a daughter or a son of the king. And so the reason that people bet the farm on Jesus is because they understand what he offers. And ultimately, they're not motivated by fear. They're motivated by the love of Christ. And that was certainly the case for Paul. In uh, 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15, Paul wrote this. He said, for the love of Christ controls us. The controlling influence was the love that Christ had for him. Having concluded this, and this is a great conclusion to come to, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. And so they've died to self, but they live for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 
And so the motivation is, here is, is Christ's love. He died for me, therefore I live for him. Back in Luke 9, in verse 25, Jesus asks a rhetorical question that reiterates the point he's been making. He says, for what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Here Jesus has us imagine a person who gains everything the world has to offer, fame, uh, wealth, worldly pleasures, and yet that person doesn't follow Christ, doesn't bow the knee to him, doesn't experience life in the kingdom. Jesus says that person forfeits their soul. There will come a day when that person looks back and all they have is their soul. When we die, we can't take any of it with us. We were born penniless. We will die penniless. In that day, that person will realize that their soul themselves is, is worth more than all the fame, wealth, and pleasure that the world has to offer. We've got many examples of this in the scripture. You have the rich young ruler, for example, who came to Jesus asking questions about eternal life. Uh, and uh, he, he gained the whole world financially, and yet he forfeited his soul because he decided Thanks, but no thanks. I'm not following Christ. I'm not selling everything I have and giving it to the poor. And so he decided not to follow Christ. Christ. He saved the life that he had built. Or Caiaphas, he was the high priest in, uh, in Jesus during Jesus' public ministry. And he gained the whole world when it came to religious influence. He had it all. And yet he forfeited his soul because he was an enemy of Jesus. Or King Herod, he gained the whole world when it came to political power, and yet he forfeited his own soul. So you've got many examples of people who gained the world but forfeited their soul. But we also have examples of people like the Apostle Paul who lost everything and gained Christ. In Philippians 3, he said, I've suffered the loss of all things, his reputation, his, his status in the religious community, his personal comfort. He lost everything in order to know Christ. Paul lost his, his old life at incredible personal cost. But that's when he really began to live. You never get the impression that Paul regretted anything he gave up. Paul never looked back because he loved following Christ at great cost. Verse 26 reminds us that being apprenticed to Jesus involves being identified with him. And this is a very fierce verse, but I don't imagine Jesus saying this with anger in his voice. I imagine him saying this with tears in his eyes. He said, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. I love what uh, Hendrickson said about this. He said, to be ashamed of Jesus means to be so proud that one wants nothing to do with Jesus and his words. And I think that's exactly it. To be ashamed is to be embarrassed about something. It's to be embarrassed about who Jesus claimed to be. 
It means to be embarrassed and kind of mocking toward what Jesus claimed his death and his resurrection would accomplish. And there are many different reasons why people uh, today are ashamed of Jesus. Uh, For example, there are those who pride themselves on being open-minded, and they would be embarrassed at what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Nobody else is going to die as a, as a perfect sacrifice, once for all sacrifice for your sin, so I am the way to the Father. But some people in their pride, they say that just can't be. That's too specific. Uh, that's too exclusive would advocate that all religions basically lead to the same God, even though they make all sorts of contradictory claims. Or others who pride themselves on being in the know might be embarrassed at this, this statement that Jesus made in Luke 18, 17. He said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. A childlike faith might seem embarrassingly simple and naive. Paul in his day said that the gospel was foolishness to the Greeks and it was a scandal to the Jews. Here in verse 25, Jesus says that when he returns in glory, it's the glory of the Father, it's the glory of angels, it's this this bright, shining, blinding radiance. When he returns in glory, he will be ashamed of those who are ashamed of him. And I don't know any way to soften this verse. And as a matter of fact, I don't, I don't have any desire to soften this verse. Jesus says that those who are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of them. If they don't follow him through this life, confess him and follow him through this life, we won't be able to follow him through the next life. Very similar thing was said in 2 Timothy Two. It's a hymn, actually, that probably predated the writing of 2 Timothy. But Paul wrote this, beginning in verse 11. It's a trustworthy statement. You can, you can trust this. Take it to the bank. If we, for if we died with him, he, he will al- we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. But he says there, if we deny him, he also will deny us. And so basically we have two choices. We can deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, or we can deny Jesus. But Jesus says, if you deny me and you're ashamed of me, I also, I've got no choice I will deny you, and I will also be ashamed of you on the final day. And again, I don't think this is a harsh statement that Jesus took any pleasure in saying. I think he spoke this out of love because he wants us to be clued into reality. And, and the, the vision of the whole New Testament uh, is that we would, we would avoid that fate. And we actually have this, this amazing statement in Hebrews 2.11 where it says that Jesus is not ashamed to be called the brother of those who receive him and then walk by faith. You put your faith in Jesus and you you bow the knee to him. He is God's unique son. He becomes your older brother who delights in you 
for all eternity. And so I, my, my appeal to you is this, that when our days are done, and we can never predict when that will be, if, if the last six, seven weeks have taught us anything, we can't predict the future. But whenever our days on earth are done, the only thing we will care about is experiencing eternal life with God. And so Jesus urges us to trust in Jesus alone and become his disciples. And because of his great love for us and the salvation he lavishes on us freely in Jesus Christ, because of that, our our instinctive response is to follow him, deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. And when Christ returns, we will be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. And so the stakes could not be higher when we talk about discipleship. We talk about the reward of discipleship and the the severe consequences of non-discipleship. And since the stakes are so high, I would like for every single person in my hearing to consider I can't tell you what to do. You have to do this of your will. But to consider uh, adopting Jesus' pattern of discipleship in a very intentional way. On your screen, uh, you will see a daily prayer for disciples. And it really expresses the heart of what we've talked about today. It's not a magic prayer but it's the heart of what we talk, we're talking about today. And this prayer is also found on the sermon outline. And again, you can find a link to that on our website. And there's a link to it in the comments section of Facebook Live. But here's, here's the prayer. And this is a prayer that I would encourage you to pray daily. Heavenly Father, I want to walk as Jesus' disciple today. Therefore, with your help, I will deny myself. I will say no to everything that hinders my discipleship. With your help, I will take up my cross today, dying to self and losing my life in order that I may experience abundance of life in Christ. May I not be ashamed of Jesus or his words in any way this day. Lord, lead and teach me as I abide in Christ and as I let his words abide in me. And so I would urge you to consider using this prayer to express your desire to follow Jesus as a disciple. And you could certainly pray this prayer verbatim, uh, but perhaps it would be more fruitful to you to, to pause after each line and express specific ways that you need to deny yourself, specific ways that you need to take up your cross, dying to self, specific ways that you by his grace, will follow him. Settle into this prayer with God and talk about your discipleships, in sp- your discipleship in specific terms. You might print it out and keep it handy. You could pray it from the heart once a day or David's pattern in Psalm 55 was three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And so no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're just about to begin or You've been walking with him for for years. This is a place to start. We don't start by screwing up all the willpower we have and trying as hard as we can. We start by bowing the knee to Jesus, confessing him as Lord, and crying out to God for the power to live as his follower. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you 
and we've seen this vision of following Christ. God, give us the faith we need to believe that it is worth it to follow Christ, no matter the cost. God, give us the faith to believe that you will help us deny ourselves. You will give us the power to take up the cross daily. God, give us a vision for what our lives might be, the abundance of life in Christ. We have to confess that sometimes we're so used to the old way of life and we have left remnants unchecked, uh, undenied. And so, God, we, we have to have your power. And so we ask this in faith, in Jesus' name, and all for your glory. Amen.